This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom, everyone. Welcome to Asia Torah Essentials Program here in the beautiful city of Jerusalem on a gorgeous, almost spring day. Which, by the way, we're expecting major rain uh, later tonight and uh, and tomorrow. But uh, then we're then we should be good for Friday and Shabbos. Um, welcome everyone. We are today. We're discussing alternative states of consciousness. Alternative states of consciousness is a, is something that human beings have a tremendous affection for. You'll notice from time, for time immemorial that human beings are are on not always, but they're often on a quest. They're on a quest for alternative states of consciousness. The uh, prayer. For example, meaning you're in one state of consciousness, you would like to be outside that when you're praying. You'd like to be connecting to an infinite being, which means that you're going to be leaving the immediacy of your basic needs and moving. you're moving out. <coughs> We're moving out for a while when we go to pray. Uh, when we drink wine, uh, we are moving out. Uh, Shabbat's a total state of mind. Total state of mind. To move out of that, you're in an alternate state of consciousness on Shabbat. Um, in fact, we even have rules governing what you're allowed to think about. Meaning, business is out, not allowed to think business on Shabbat, and some various other things. Mm-hmm. Um, also, when you go into Shabbat, you're actually commanded to drink wine. You have to drink Kiddush wine right when you get in. And that is not grape juice, by the way. You have to drink real wine. Now, obviously, people have issues with wine should, you know, honor their own specific issue they may have with wine. But the rest of us, you have to drink wine. How much wine? About a cup of wine. You know, a small-sized cup of wine, but enough to get a buzz. Now, that's our sages telling us that. What's going on? Why, is, why do our sages want us to catch a buzz on the Shabbos night? And, by the way, you got to watch out, because if you're a guest... First of all, your host may be drinking grape juice. Secondly, you probably they probably pass around just a little tiny sip to everybody. And which means the only person who got any wine, if he had wine, was him. And everybody else <coughs> is going dry. And in fact, we are supposed to be drinking all of us are supposed to be drinking a full cup of wine when Shabbat comes in. And you don't have to make kiddish on it, but when it gets passed out, you know People should get some wine, but not so much that they pass out. Yeah. The, the wine helps you to get into any other dimension? Or? Yeah, so what happens is, um, six days a week when we live in the contracted world of business and work and all the things we've got to get done, that's a, that's a certain, it creates a certain contracted consciousness. Whereas Shabbos is expanded consciousness. I mean, you're really going into a holy spectrum of consciousness. But what's the problem? Most people are still stuck in their weekday head, Shabbos night. Shabbos Day, you notice when they make Kiddush, you don't need to drink? Did you know that, Shabbos Day? A lot of women don't know that. They, uh, you'll see women will always wait around for, uh, women will always wait around for uh, Kiddush on uh, Shabbos Day. And um, need to drink. Whereas uh, you'll see men, they'll hear Kiddush and they'll just start eating. You know, they'll, they'll make a bracha on their food already. Because there really is no obligation to drink Kiddush. 
on Shabbos in the day. You have to hear Kiddush, you have to make Kiddush, um, but you don't have to drink the actual wine. Um, I've made Kiddush on a shot of whiskey before, literally a shot of whiskey. So I finished the whole Kiddush, and instead of Brie Brigov, and it was Shakol I drank the shot, everyone was happy, and started their cake. So, but Shabbos night, you're coming in with a weekday's headspace, coming in with a contracted consciousness, and you need expansive consciousness to, just to begin to match the energy of Shabbat. Just to begin to match it, you need to expand into it. And therefore, we drink wine on that day. Um, there's different levels of consciousness also that come with fasting. Um, there's certain days we fast during the year that brings in a certain kind of consciousness, which is a, um, a weakened ego. It, when you're fasting, it, you get your, your resolve, your arrogance, your ego gets weakened by a fasting experience. I mean, I'm not going to be my best after fasting for 12, 14, 16 hours. If uh, you want me to share a class or something, I'm just not going to be at my best there. I'll probably be at my worst there. And we, uh, so that's also an alternate state of consciousness. It's a state of great humility that comes with, with uh, fasting. Um, there's also more intense fasting for, for you know, holy Jews who do more intense fasting. But, uh, my, my Rebbe says of fasting, he says that, uh, that fasting's for tzaddikim. So, when I, so which makes people who think they're a tzaddik, oh, wow, I want to fast. He says, no, you have to first become a tzaddik. He says, how do you become a tzaddik? By eating. And I, we all looked at him like, eating makes you a tzaddik? He says, yeah, because when you eat, you have energy. When you have energy, you can study Torah all day. And by studying the Torah all day, you're going to learn how to be a tzaddik and become a tzaddik. And then when you become a tzaddik, you can start fasting. But you, you know how there could be a yitzhahara of a guy who wants to fast, even though he's far from a tzaddik at this point. But he certainly wants, to, he's going to let everyone know he's fasting. Now, um, anyway, that's another altered state of consciousness. Eating. What? Eating is another kind of consciousness, or is it just for the energy? Well, yeah, eating is more for the energy, but there are different foods that bring different consciousness. For example, meat is a more constricted consciousness. Fruits are more expansive consciousness. I'm careful, by the way, uh, for this class, is I almost will never accept a meat meal that's offered me before I teach. Meat's not on the menu before teaching. I have to be as expansive as possible for the teaching experience. So I will eat fruits, I'll eat maybe a, a soup, vegetable soup, things like that, but I'm almost always vegetarian before teaching, before I teach, to keep my consciousness expanded for it, because meat is very contractive, which is also good for people you know that are too expensive, and they're kind of flying away, you gotta like reel in the kite, <coughs> and they, that's the person you want to put, you want to give them some meat, get them back down to earth. Now, uh, anyway, so, so human beings love uh, they love alternate consciousness. And, but we have to be very careful with this desire for alternate consciousness because it's also a desire for, to escape. It's a desire to escape <coughs> our current situation. And that is very far from spirituality. Escape from your current situation is, 
making war with God who's created your current situation for you to grow, for you to deal with, for you to get through, for you to manage and, uh, and you know, come to some kind of higher place, which will be because of your situation. Whatever situation we are in, which may be a fine situation, but that, is, that need to escape it is, uh, is at odds with God's will. So now you're fighting God. And this is why people who are seeking alternative consciousness, it'll come with a touch of guilt sometimes. They'll feel not right about it. They'll feel almost like they're cheating a little bit when they're, when they're going for their alter, altered state of consciousness. It, meaning going into an altered state of consciousness should not come with cheating. Okay? There's no, shouldn't be like you're eating some forbidden fruit. But God said, live in the garden, don't eat from the fruit. And they cheated, ate from the fruit, <coughs> and you know, they ate the forbidden fruit, and they went... You know, they got thrown out of the garden, basically. So there is a sense of, uh, a slight sense of cheating when you're after that, when you're after an altered state of consciousness. Today we're discussing altered states of consciousness. Are you talking about shrooms? Oh, we were not necessarily talking about psychedelic uh, plant medicine, altered states of consciousness. Okay. If you'd like me to segue there, I could. But uh, we're not really there yet. He wants to talk about shrooms. What? I have a side question. Where was the Garden of Eden? It was in a. It was first of all, it wasn't geographically on our wor- in our world, but it is juxtaposed in our physical world. It's juxtaposed to uh, somewhere on the other side of the Euphrates, somewhere around a rock, <coughs> around a rock over there. But Adam and Eve, uh, before they ate from the fruit, were in a world called Yetzirah. When I say a world, I mean a parallel realm. It's above this world. And uh, that's where they were. When they ate from the fruit, they got catapulted out of Itzira into our world, which is called the Siam. And that place they were juxtaposed to is somewhere near Iraq. Okay. Now, the back to altered states consciousness is, is that when we are when we are desiring that, there is a touch of guilt, and most likely that guilt is that we're trying to escape a circumstance, our situation, our life that God has provided for our growth. And we want out of there. And for that reason, seeking altered states of consciousness has to be within the context of divine service. As long as it's for divine service, so then you're very much in your situation. You're not really escaping anything. But you are, you are only doing the whatever altered states of consciousness that you seek are always within the context of your current situation, your current life. Meaning, all we have to do is stay cognizant. We have to stay cognizant of the desire to escape reality and keep it as part of our service of God. So when I drink wine Shabbos night, it is totally in the context of service of God. When I drink on Purim, which is you know a pretty massive intake of alcohol, this is you know extreme amounts of Drink. I can drink. Purim. I can drink four or five bottles of wine. By, by. this year, Purim's twice as long because uh, our custom is not to take out Purim when it meets Shabbos. Meaning, it just keeps going. So, Purim. I Hasidim anyway. If no matter what day Purim is, they keep going into the night. Uh, only Litvaks bench at sundown on Purim. That's why the rule is you never go to a non-Hasidic house. 
on Purim. I mean, if your Rebbe invites you, you tell him, I'll come. I mean, I'll come. I will come and I will leave. You know, you obviously, every student of a rabbi must see his Rebbe on Purim. I mean, you've got to go to his meal. So you go to his meal. I was there. And when you wash your hands, no matter where you eat on Purim Day, wherever you wash is rarely where you wind up. So you have in mind, everyone who washes Purim Day, you have in mind that you'll be benching somewhere else entirely. Um, and you have no idea where that might be. And in your drunken state, you also got to remember to eat throughout every 72 minutes. You have to have had some food. So it's possible to set a timer on a phone. Uh, that might help. But of course, you got to ditch your phone before Shabbos. And I wind up with some of your phones at my house Saturday night, you know, and no one, they don't get recovered. No one comes to get them because they don't know where their phone is. Uh, they have no idea when they finally got rid of their phone, but eventually by Sunday evening, everyone figured out that they were at my house Shabbos night and, uh, and come and get their phone. And someone literally walks through and just starts chucking people's phones into a bag, you know, with an eye on the clock. You know, thank God for, for women who don't drink as much as the men. And also just always a fair warning for ladies in general is you want to be extra careful in Shabbos because when the wine goes in, the secrets come out. And sometimes the secret in certain men is, is, uh, is uh, to be uh, involved in a sport called womanizing. And, uh, and so a very fine young lady who would never catch herself in a situation, would never allow herself in such a situation, but if she herself's inebriated around men who womanize, so she could wind up in trouble. And for that reason, it's, it's considered uh, not a good idea that a woman gets heavily inebriated on the Purim just because she, she will not have her radar up for, for such men who may seem normally well-behaved, but maybe less so on the alcohol. Um, I know Purim's the holiest day of the year, but it's also the craziest day of the year. The, it literally, when the wine goes in, the secrets come out. I mean, it sounds like someone drinks wine and now all of a sudden you get to know who they really are. That's true. But there's something else that happens. On Purim, on Purim, whatever you were supposed to deal with this year that God maybe had mercy on, you know, and just compassionately was overlooking, it's going to happen on Purim. I mean, if you were supposed to get punched in the nose this year, and you didn't get punched in the nose, I suggest wearing a nose guard on Purim, because you're going to get punched on Purim. It's the weirdest day, the most bizarre day, but whatever you get is coming to you on Purim, and it's going to land. And so we also, you got to be really careful to have clean energy throughout the year, like I do my utmost to have clean energy on, on the year almost in fear of Purim, because once Purim hits, there's no rules. Anything can happen. And, and you want to be like, you definitely want to stay out of harm's way on Purim. Um, I've beaten up, up every, my kids say that every three years I beat somebody up on Purim. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. And it's what, usually the person. What was the last time? That, <laughs> you ready for this? No. <laughs> three years ago. <laughs> My kids are free. Like My kids are people? freaking out that Purim's coming because we're on. We're we're back in the third year. Wait, like random people? And the person was bothering me. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, but I bother you like every day. What? I bother you like every day. Be careful. 
around the unperm. Yeah, you got to be careful around the unperm. Um, and of course, normally you're obligated. And you can't just beat people up, you know. But in perm, you can. So. <laughs> yeah, you, and you just got to be, got to be careful on perm. You just never know what's going to happen. I have students coming in. You'll see throughout Shabbos night there will be people coming in bleeding, and you'll be like. What happened to you? And he's like, it's poor. And you're like, I don't know. You know, I got jumped. You know, <laughs> like that same guy could walk across Jerusalem every single day of the year and nothing happened. But this day, boom, he got slammed. So anyway, the um, also uh, just another thing to watch out for is rain on poor is it's going to be freezing and raining on poor. Now, you're looking at me like, Rabbi, how do you have a prediction for 10 days from now? And the answer is, is that a rabbi, many years ago, when it became clear that there were secular Israelis are going to dress up in, like, not sneeze clothing, meaning uh, women are going to be wearing not nice outfits on Purim. So he decreed, this is like 100 years ago, he decreed, uh, was it 100 years? It was like 1920s or something when, you know, like the original Zionists were like hardcore anti, you know, Torah values. The, um, I'm being nice by saying Torah values. I think those are the values. I think they were just anti-values. But uh, except for the value of building the state of Israel, profession. <coughs> Otherwise, where would we be? Where would we be? So they, uh, anyway, we certainly wouldn't be having this class here. So they, uh, anyway, but they they were dressing not sneeze, not modestly dressed in their porn costumes, as you can imagine. You know, I, I think Halloween has this attribute of not sneeze women. So what he did was he made a decree. Come on in and get your free sound bite. That's why we have a window there. Otherwise, I couldn't invite her. Are you warm? You, you cool? You okay with the temperature? So uh, a man by the name of uh, Rabbi Zonenfeld, uh, many years ago, like 70, 80 years ago, more than that, maybe 100 years ago, he made a decree that it will be freezing and raining on Purim so that no one should wear such an outfit. So the women would dress modestly on Purim. And guess what? It could be 80 degrees the day before. I've seen this many years. It's 80 degrees before Purim. Everyone in Jerusalem has their Purim outfits to be the, for their children to be as warm as possible. And you can't just put your kid in a cape. You need, you need an outfit that's going to be warm and a cape. And because it's going to be freezing on Purim. So it's 80 degrees the day before Purim. Purim, it's 40 in hail. And the next day is 80 degrees. And the forecast had no rain on it. No rain, no difference in temperature. And it, it defies the forecast every year. Now, there, it, interestingly, in my 26 years here, it has failed twice, I think. But only twice in 26 years. Now, what, we had different ways of learning out why it failed. Like, we were, try, we were try, trying to explain why the decree of, uh, of Yosef Chaim Zonenfeld, why it didn't come through that year. But uh, it did not come through... Uh, two, I think two years of the 26. What's that? It will be the third one. This Does it say rain next week? No. It's no, it's sunny, right? It's sunny. We'll see. 
rains every year. Yeah, but, yeah, but Israel Israel doesn't have regular um, Israel doesn't have a regular relationship to weather as the rest of the world. You know, we we can have we can have rain just completely skip us and go to Jordan. We can have rain dump on us and skip Jordan. It all depends on God. We can have no prediction of rain and have it pour for days. We had once a really strange thing is Kabbalists did this like kind of high high profile stunt. They got in an airplane. We had, we're having a bad drought here. And they got in an airplane, a private plane, and they these Kabbalists flew around the state of Israel three times saying all these prayer things. It was like a publicity thing and like yeah, I don't know, some rich guy paid for it and, and uh, the rabbis did it and and the uh, and by the time they landed, unpredicted, clouds form over Israel. And it starts dumping rain. And I remember very clearly because I, I flew that night in a crazy storm. Second we got off the coast, there was zero storm. And then when we when I landed in New York, I called my wife to see if it's still raining. And she's like, it's pouring. And it poured for days. And that was the end of the drought. But there was no prediction of rain. This rain didn't come from Turkey. It didn't come from Europe. It wasn't over the Mediterranean. and It just formed over Israel and dumped for days. This rain and it's recorded. It's in the paper. This, uh, you can look it up yourselves. So, the uh, by the way, they tried it again and it didn't work. Uh, there was another time that they did another publicity, uh, you know, uh, prayer stunt, and uh, it was, it was it didn't public work. the first time. First time was public. Why? I, I don't remember why. I think maybe they believed that if it worked, it would bring more faith to the nation. And I think it might have. But then the second time it didn't work, so whatever. Uh, back to our business. Today we're talking about alternative states of consciousness in Judaism. And, uh, and we've been focusing a bit on Purim. And uh, <coughs> so Purim is, Purim is a very interesting download. Every holiday has a certain download to it. Pesach's freedom, Shavuos' Torah. Tisha B'Av's the morning or the temple. Um, Rosh Hashanah is, is uh, re, uh, renewal. Yom Kippur's forgiveness. Every holiday is a download. And it happens via something. Pesach happens via those four cups of wine, via the <coughs> matzahs, by the saying of the Haggadah. Shavuos happens through the learning. Sukkah happens through the sukkah. Rosh Hashanah happens through the, the shofar. Yom Kippur happens through the fast. What, what's coming down, and how does it happen on Purim? So what's coming down on Purim, how it happens, is through the loss of one's intellectual faculties, one's conscious <coughs> mind. When you get out of your mind, you get the download of Purim. And this is a very interesting thing. It's very different than all the other holidays. All the other holidays are, have a very obvious mechanism going on. <coughs> on Purim, the sages tell us that, that, that a person is obligated to get out of his mind. To, and not just stomp out of his mind. He has to get so out of his mind that he no longer knows the difference between... Mordechai and Haman. Baruch Mordechai and Haman. 
Yes, blessed is Mordechai and cursed is Haman. But he has to not know the difference, which, by the way, those, they don't have a difference numerically. The word Baruch Mordechai equals 502, and Arur Haman equals 502. So they, which is interesting. 502, by the way, is the drunk driving code of California. Hmm. Don't ask how I know that. <laughs> by the way, I never got a 502. Thank God. But I certainly had plenty of, plenty of friends who did. Can I just mention that uh, in Melbourne, the Ashitara rabbi goes to sleep on Purim. Why are you telling us that? I'm telling you that because it, I don't think it, it's a good look when you're drunk, especially for a from person. That's not why you're telling me that. You, I'm going to tell you why you're telling me that. You first me. of all, First of all, we'll discuss drunk rabbis in a little while. Why does the Talmud say, or Shulchan Aruch, why does the Halacha say that someone who cannot drink for whatever reason, and that's not one of them, why can someone, meaning the rabbi should be drunker than anybody in the shul, just like the rabbi's more intense about shofar, and he's more intense about sukkot, and he's more intense about Yom Kippur, and he's more intense about Hanukkah. He's a rab- the rabbi's the most intense about Judaism. He's the rabbi. He's showing everybody what to do. So who should be the most drunk? The rabbi. Go to and look in Israel. In Israel, which is not Melbourne. The, the, one rabbi, the, rabbi, the rabbi of all of Tzvat, the Rav of Tzvat, sits with all the people at his party, massive party. He has a bucket next to him because, <laughs> because he tosses his cookies every, about every hour and then goes back to drinking. <laughs> he's, a, he's amazing. I mean, anyone else would be passed out. He doesn't pass out. He's perfectly in. But he's, I mean, he's not mad and he's wasted, but, but he throws up about every hour. Intentionally? No. <laughs> his body is, is getting rid of the alcohol. And, the, uh, and then his servant takes the bucket, dumps it, rinses it, and brings it back. And that's how he does his pour. And uh, which chassidus are you guys back? Not affiliated. Not affiliated. But do you, who do you go to on pour? Does he drink? Copious amounts? No, no, not that much. Oh, he doesn't drink that much? What? Get a little bit high. Okay, but that's also, don't forget, you're talking about a rabbi outside of Israel. No, no offense to Rabbi Schweizer. But uh, the rabbis here, forget about it. Forget about it. Uh, the rabbi of my community, <coughs> it's worth it just to come to Pins Carlino before him. And just see the Pins Carlino rabbi it's, it's not normal. What's going on in there? Yeah, it was completely wasted on Zos Hanukkah too. But those are the two days we drink. We drink on Zos Hanukkah. I mean, they just took everything away from him. So, yeah. so Purim comes by the getting drunk and lost our mind? That's the way... Yeah, that's where we're at right now. The reason why he's got to go to sleep, someone tell me, why does the Jewish law, why does Jewish law, Jewish law, allow you to go to sleep? How could that possibly fulfill anything? Because then you don't know the difference between Haman and Mordechai. Which means you're unconscious. You have to get unconscious. Correct. So either you're getting unconscious on wine or you're taking a nap. And women should be very careful to, I mean, it's a little hard to go to sleep, but women should try to take a little nap. Um, if they're not going to be drinking alcohol, they should be taking a little nap. And I already warned women about alcohol on perm. You missed the warning. Who says women have to do it at all? 
That's true. But some women are, uh, uh, you know, some women want to lean on Pesach, you know. They, some women want to want to be involved in these things. So, uh, but it, it's a good. You made a good point. Now. Yeah, so what is the download? So we know we know how the download is. The download is a loss of consciousness, whether you're drunk or whether you're asleep. But there's a loss of consciousness, and that loss of consciousness has to take place during the... some time after... It's got to be in the afternoon, after the second Megillah reading, during that afternoon period. That's when someone's got to get out, out their consciousness. By the way, secular Israelis party big time on Purim, but they do it at the night. They completely miss the actual time that you're supposed to be out of your head, which is uh, Purim Day. They're just nursing a hangover the next day. They're not. They're not partying Purim Day. And uh, sadly, a lot of newbies to Judaism will miss that point because they're so excited to party that they wind up partying on the first night because yeshivas generally drink the first night. Um, but then they find it hard to party the next day after their yeshiva party because they soak intensely partied the night before. So it's really important that yeshiva boys uh, hold back a bit at night, enjoy the night, get some rest, wake up, daven, hear Megillah, do the mitzvahs of the day, and then uh, and then go, then you start your drinking. Um, uh, also, people should have their ID on them and uh, just to warn that people should be Meaning, if someone gets like alcohol poisoning or something like that, and needs to get rushed to the hospital, they should have some kind of uh, information on them, or something else happens. It's a little hard to take responsibility for yourself uh, when someone's that inebriated. Uh, the other thing is, so the question is, what is the download? What's the download important? So the download important is disconcerting. So if drinking that much alcohol is disconcerting, wait till you hear what the download is. <laughs> the download is. That there's o- that there's only God. The download is that there's only God, meaning in Nevada, there's nothing but God. But if it's only God, then it's only good. That there's only good, and that no matter what happens, even the worst stuff in the world, it was all part of some kind of crazy plan. And why do we read a book called Revelation of the Hidden? <laughs> that's this, this crazy story about these Jews and uh, the Jews of, you know, in the times of Persia, where there's some kind of crazy plan. And you don't see God. It's this hidden plan. The revelation of the hidden is that it was all God's plan. But the craziness of life and all this stuff, meaning, uh, I don't think there's anyone in, our, in this room right now who wouldn't raise their hand that they wish they could have skipped part of their difficulties in life. I mean, is there a period of time you would wished wasn't there? Yeah, and little periods that you wished wasn't there? For sure. He's looking at me like, Rabbi, you know me well enough to know. You don't have to ask that question. All of us have times in our lives we wish weren't there. Everyone's been through some rough stuff, which is amazing, too, by the way, because how could it be 100% of people have been through rough stuff? Could it be that it's part of a plan, that we're all in some kind of crazy porn story? How could it be that every single person you'll ever meet has gone through stuff they wish they hadn't? Meaning rough stuff. I'm not talking about the stuff where, oh, I guess, I'm, <coughs> I guess I must be growing through this. 
I'm talking about stuff where like you just like get me out of here. Like, like I'll, I'll I'll do anything to get out of this. Like I don't want I don't want the growth from it. I don't want its growth. Of course, in retrospect, when you look at it ten years later, you're like, Baruch Hashem, it really helped me become somebody. Meaning, it was the tough. The tougher it is, the greater you become. You know, the more you mess with leather, the softer. You know, the more you mess with that leather, the more of the ibudoras you do, the more you tan the leather through the processes <coughs> of leather, um, the more delicious the leather is. And so the most, the times we've been worked the most have made us the greatest we are. The download of Purim is that we're all in a story. Every one of us is in some crazy story. And that story, by the way, on Purim is going to come to a head. Whatever stories you're in are all going to come up on porn, which is another crazy aspect of porn. It's like, you weren't expecting that. Like, you were just planning on, like, you know, trick-or-treat, you know, like shalach manos and, and uh, you know, a nice meal, and hopefully the men won't be too obnoxious, and hopefully things aren't going to be too out of control this year. And <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, you get your story, like, in your face on Purim, big time. And the way you can soften the blow of Purim, because Purim's, you know, Purim hits everybody right in the nose. So we spoke about getting hit in the nose earlier. So Purim hits everybody right in the nose. I'd mentioned that I, I beat someone up every three years, and this year's the third year. <laughs> My kids are so frightened of who's going to get beaten up this year. The, the last one I beat up has a, he has a, he's a, uh, Head of a no a yeshiva, <laughs> like some two like I don't know, 150 students or something like that. Oh my God. Yeah. Why did you beat these people up? And this one really frightened everybody because when I finally ripped them into this uh, dark kind of room, the uh, you know and I, so everyone was watching me kind of drag him away, and when, but in that dark room was a giant electric trash compacting dumpster. And they figured I was too out of my mind to realize that throwing him in there will, will, uh, uh, what do you call it? Kill? It would, it would turn it on. Activate. <laughs> activate. It would activate the dumpster. So like someone was standing kind of outside the dark room waiting to see what I was going to do with this guy. Now there's no way I could put him in the dumpster. I had no inch. I didn't want to bring him in the dumpster. I wanted to alleviate him of the embarrassment of being beaten up publicly. Meaning he, he must be beaten, just not publicly. So I was just trying to get him out of, because it was a whole public experience. So I was just removing him from, from the public so that he could get his beating with honor. <coughs> <laughs> Basically, don't mess with me this year. <laughs> but I, my goal, seriously, my goal this year is no one gets beaten up so I can break my cycle. You know, nowhere beaten people up. By the way, there's no one who got beaten up who didn't need to get beaten up. It's not like it's not like every three years, the day after Purim, I get some guy asking me for an apology. No, I get a note or a WhatsApp or something saying like, "Whew, had that coming, didn't I?" I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, you did. Yes, you did." Uh, and, and I also, I will mention, just because I have two close students in the room, that, uh, that, and you would never do this, but that 
the, a couple years in a row that this happened was when they on their when they got really out of their heads on alcohol. They started realizing what I had done for them, and they churned me into some rebbe in their eyes for the rest of the day. You understand? Like they made their poem about me, and that's when they got beaten. So, you experience. You listen to me too. You're experiencing your poem. This is your experience of poem. This is not your experience of your rebbe. You understand? This is your experience of poem. You want to give me a hug? I'm gonna hug back. One hug. <laughs> One hug. And and not the twenty minute version. <laughs> I'm hosting. You know, like I can't give twenty minute hugs. I've had this this happen when the guy's like, he's gonna take the hug for twenty minutes and meanwhile I'm just looking over my shoulder at people hanging from my chandeliers because they notice that the, the whoever's watching over the party is getting hugged, so you know, I guess we can do whatever we want from now on. And <laughs> I'm like Get off my chandelier! <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm locked in by some 250-pound guy who wants me to give me a 20-minute hug. I was fine last year. Yeah, we'll be good. Okay, anyway, so our search... Our, so we just kind of focused in on Purim, but that's not what this class is about. This class is about alternative consciousness and to be to be... And we've got to be weary of how much it's an escape. One of the ways you deal with uh, escaping into alternative consciousness, we said a few. One is that it's always with God. It's always in service of God. It's with the holidays, meaning meaning alcohol in the holidays, uh, alcohol on Shabbos. These are things that are happening part and parcel of this experience of our service of God. Kiddush. These are the, but, but when it's a pure escape, so that's the one you got to stay away from. The pure escape one is the one you got to avoid. And, and you'll notice that the escapists crave it more and more. It, it's, it, let me teach you all something. You guys got to go? Let me, I just teach you one. Oh, you're fine. So I'll teach you one thing about escape. That'll be your last lesson. How do you know when something's? How do you know when something is kosher or escape? We're just going to call the whole thing kosher or escape. How do you know when it's kosher alternative consciousness or it's escape? The answer is that when it's kosher alternative consciousness, <coughs> you're completely satisfied during. You're completely satisfied after. In fact, you're enriched. When it's non-kosher escape. You're, you, when you're after, you want more. You're not satisfied. You, in fact, it's, it's messed with your whole escape need to cause it to, to beep quicker. Meaning, had your escape mechanism beeped every five, six days, if you, if you press the button on the beep, you'll likely now have it in four days. You understand? It's not satisfying. It's making you want to be, press the button more. And that's, that's a sign that it's escape. I'm just talking about distinguishing. Another thing you'll notice is that um, when it's kosher, you're going to feel more connected to your spouse, more connected to your children, more connected to, to God and Torah. During or after? During. Uh-huh. When it's escape, your spouse grows like pointed ears and fangs. 
your children turn into Eddie Munster. They, they, every, everything looks, your whole regular life called responsibility, accountability, that whole world, it, looks, it suddenly looks like the devil. And it's like something you really want to avoid. So when alternative consciousness is causing your day-to-day -day life more to become even scarier, so it's hardly doing that. It's not even working as an escape. It's making the your regular life look more and more frightening. And so, and so when those signs are present, that's exactly when you know you got a problem. And therefore, you do nothing for weeks, months, however long it takes you, until you're ready to love your life and celebrate it with the alternative consciousness, which may include kiddish wine or, or you know, a shot at, at a kiddish or, or anything else that someone does to enhance consciousness, which is also prayer as well. And uh, the other things I mentioned, which were all non-chemical. Shkoyach for coming. Yeah, sorry, you sat on a double chair. Um, you're welcome anytime. So you're Muncie guys, yeah? Are you, you're not a graduate of my work or anything, are you? Okay. I follow you. Excellent. So I'll be in Muncie. Um, I expect both of you at my next possible youth seminar. The women's you work or you're not working? Not you. So you all get enough advance warning to... to uh, take four days off, and you are in non-work hours. The men are non-work hours in Munster. So join me for the possible you. You've heard enough about it, right? You have friends who did? Yeah. When is the revenue? Thank you so much. It's I'll be there uh, sometime after Pesach, like April, May. Okay. okay. Now, back to... Uh, if you're not satisfied... It's escape, or it can be kosher. Like, if it's not satis, if you if you come out unsatisfied, studying Torah, it, you will get you will want more. But it's kosher. That's for sure <coughs> kosher. But you're more engaged with life with Torah study. There are people who use Torah study wrong. There are people who are escaping in Torah study, but that's like that's a unique situation. Um, what else do I want to share with y'all? Friends. What, you want me to talk about more intense alternative, con altered states of consciousness? Yeah. Uh, okay, maybe I'll handle that. There's just one more thing is, uh, is that, no, we spoke about rabbis being inebriated. We spoke about that. Yeah. Um, and by the way, I'm not here to shame anyone anyone who's uh, like for example your son's a rabbi in Australia right you know him he's a beautiful man Rabbi uh, Safa yeah Andrew Safa he was uh, my student here at Asians he's one of the wisest rabbis on the planet he is God. someone I don't know I didn't say smart he's also smart I said wise <coughs> what's the difference difference between wisdom and smart smart is data mm -hmm. and wise is is the ability to process data. You understand? I know a lot of people who know a lot of stuff. That's I would never go to them for advice because they wouldn't necessarily have the ability to integrate all the data that of what, which I'm asking them. I mean, I'm asking them a question or advice. So I don't need data. I don't need formulas. 
I'm not a formula. I'm a human being with a real life, real you know, subtleties in the issues that I would be asking about. And so I don't need a rabbi who knows a lot of data. I need a rabbi who knows the data but has the wisdom to put all of the variables out there. And to... Yeah. And then to be able to draw, <coughs> draw a... Uh, I'm, talking about I'm really talking about Chochman being an endos, but it'd be a really... You'd have to have the whole perspective. So the whole... The synthesis is that. Yeah. Anyway, his son is one of these such people. He's got data and wisdom. He's got uh, smarts. Okay. Yeah. He's probably touching a lot of people on his life. He's going to be like the Rebbe of Australia. <laughs> Unless he gets to pigeonhole as a Bal- helping Balchubas. Well, you said you're not coming to shame anybody. Yeah, but I'm a little shocked that Rabbi Sapphire, your son actually goes to sleep. Son in law. He doesn't type very well to drinking. Oh, Sapphire is your son in law? Son in law. Yeah. Oh, well, it could be he doesn't do well in alcohol. He doesn't do well with alcohol. Ah, it would ruin his day. That's a little different. It's but he, I, he was the last people I, person I would have thought of worrying about what people would think. Okay. Uh, to get drunk is a way to get out of the ego, like don't care about anything, or it can be, like, can be another. The getting getting drunk is is very good for you. It's very good for you. Some people, it's a nightmare for ego. Okay. The ego comes out with the drunkenness. Um, but uh, for many others, it's, it's very good for ego. Why? Because it, um, the, the ego is the left brain's narrative uh, disguising itself as you. <laughs> you notice you have a narrative in your mind all the time. There's always some narrative. I Meaning your brain's thinking. It's called the, that's the narrative, your brain thinking. So it will disguise itself, or it, the narrative of the brain will disguise itself as you yourself, as opposed to just thinking. You understand, if you're experiencing your thoughts, then there's a you and there's your thoughts. Those are not the same. They are two separate things. There's you and then there's your thinking. But sometimes the narrative descri- disguises itself as you. That's the ego. And all it takes is a little shift in consciousness, <coughs> which alcohol provides, and but in small quantities, uh, only really small quantities. I'm talking like one drink for someone of larger weight two drinks, because alcohol is metabolized by the size of the person. So someone our size would be one drink. And that one drink is just enough to jiggle the, just jiggle the thoughts enough that you suddenly get kind of giddy, you get kind of giggly, and a funny mood a little bit, and a little warmer with people. It's because now you're starting to, you're, you're, now you're starting to, um, Un- unmesh, unmesh, thinking with with consciousness, with with being. You're unmeshing your thinking with who you are, and and then that becomes fun, and uh, you become lighter, and uh, more uh, congenial, and that's a wonderful thing. And you can still drive without getting you know in a car crash or pulled over and put in jail because you're not you're not yet above the alcohol level. I drink a lot of alcohol, but a little at a time, <laughs> meaning one beer a day, you know, and even that I don't always get, because if I'm working at night, which I do a lot of, I don't get to have my one beer, which is obviously rough, because it's my favorite drink, 
and uh, and beer is amazing. I whoever develops a pill that takes the alcohol out, out of beer after you drink it because you need it for the bitterness. But if you can somehow remove the alcohol from your bloodstream, if they ever create a pill that can remove alcohol from your bloodstream, I'm going to invest in that company, <laughs> and they're going to do well. And uh, and that would be I would for every beer I drink, I'd take the pill. What do I need? I don't need alcohol to separate myself from my thoughts. That's for sure. You know, my, my we we've got me and my brain have a very strong and kind of established relationship that that I will not be confusing myself with my thinking. If I do sometimes, but it, I'll notice immediately. I'm not happy. I'll notice immediately. That's this is the key to happiness. The second I find myself not happy, I know I was getting uh, overly invested in my thinking, meaning I was letting myself become my thoughts, and. And that's, of course, not all right. How's it going, Rabbi? Is it after three? So I'll conclude. I'll make my concluding statements. What's the tour? What's the tour? The old city. Oh, the old city tour. That's amazing. That's amazing. So, um, in conclusion, sorry we didn't get to talk about more intense altered states of consciousness. We have time, right? I am. I'm driving the wedding. Um, just to conclude, this one subject we're on is that is that none of this requires alcohol. Uh, you, all it takes is becoming a disciplined thinker, so that you're you're constantly disciplining the thinking, so it's not hijacking the consciousness. That's our job. That's why me drinking alcohol in Purim is not, or drinking alcohol anytime is not as fun as it is for you. Because um, I don't need alcohol to distinguish myself from my thoughts. But it's certainly good for jiggling it up for everyone else. And uh, I know a lot of people that should start drinking alcohol, I'll tell you that much. Uh, I know a lot of people are completely enmeshed with their thinking and have, they get this kind of smug attitude and you can smell their ego a mile away and they just take themselves and everything so seriously. That's who you don't go to for fun. People like that. And, uh, okay, um, everyone can do their thing. I'll take your question privately. Shalom, everyone. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.